This morning, if I can ask you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 3, please, as we continue through our study in 1 John. Obviously, for those of you that have been there before, you'll maybe know some of the background behind the things that we're looking at, but if you open to chapter 3 of 1 John this morning, and what we'll do is we'll just read a passage of the scripture before we dive into it. So we'll just read from verse 13, and it says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, do not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and our hearts shall assure ourselves before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So you'll know from the last time, if you were here from looking at the book of 1 John, we're looking at the topic of God is love. We've looked at previously God is light and to walk in the light is God is in the light and by that we know the relationship that we have with him. Then the last time we looked at being the believer that walks in love, having love for each other, having love for God and how that is a reflection on the relationship that we have with God by the level of love that we have in our lives. And we looked at the fact that as a Christian believer, if we are saying I'm a believer, I believe in God, then if we're going to be indifferent to other people, if we're hateful, spiteful, vengeful people, then somebody else from the outside can stand and look at us and think, well, you're saying one thing, but how you're living your life's not reflecting it. And you can see that kind of two things that are clashing in our lives there. But going back to the, the kind of main theme, why is John writing this letter? And I'll say it again, I'm repeating it every time I'm standing up here. The letter is written to believers in churches and he's wanting the believers to have assurance of their relationship with God. And if you're wanting to have an assurance of your relationship with God, then you need to look at yourself and think, where is your level of love? How are you dealing with other people? And how is that a reflection on your relationship with the Father? Verse 16 told us, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So our greatest example we have is the life of Jesus who laid down his life for us and then we have to be that kind of extension, that reflection of his love. And John uses the words know quite a lot in the letter. He wants us to know lots and lots of different things. Verse 16, know love. How can you know love? By knowing God the Father, by knowing what he laid down and it was his son he laid down for us. We looked at it last time, we've seen the example of Cain and that was an example of false love. And we see Jesus as an example of true love. Cain took his brother's life to benefit himself. Jesus laid down his life 
to benefit his enemies. So we've seen the kind of dichotomy there. We can only know and share true love when we are walking with and understanding the love of God. And that's what we looked at last time. I'm sure you've heard the BT slogan before, it's good to talk. Yeah, you'll be familiar with that one. But as we can look through from verse 17 today, we'll see that it is good to talk, but sometimes talk can be cheap. And that's really what we're looking at from the, first, the next couple of verses here. Talk can be cheap, but love that acts out is sacrificial, and that really means something. So verse 17, just to recap, that whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. So that's a kind of practical way that we can share our life, lay down our life for other people. It's how we extend and how we extend the hand out to other people. You know, do we shut up our hearts or do we actually shell out love, good deeds to other people? We can look at it in another scripture. If we look at First Timothy chapter 6, from verse 17 to 19, the verse there tells us, Command those who are rich in this age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And this is an important part here. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. So we see there, you know, what is an extension of your faith? It's to do good, be rich in good works, be ready to give, be willing to share, be the person that's a go-to person. If you're needing any help, somebody knows they can come to you and they can always get that help. You're the person that's ready to lay all your stuff aside and help that person out that's in need. So we see real love, what is it? Real love is an action, it's not words. Going back to the talk is cheap. Real love actually does something for other people and it costs the giver something. You know, something's getting taken away from you when you're shelling out real love to someone. And we see from the verse in the first time there, we need to do good. If you're calling yourself a believer then, we have to be willing to share, be ready to give, be that person that's ready to just kind of put everything aside and step out and help the person in need. So it's a love, it's a practical thing, it's not just something you say and you don't follow through with any action. We've got a verse in James 2 verse 15 as well, and it says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be, be warned, be filled, be do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? How many times do you say to people, Oh, that's great, I'll pray for you, bye. And you maybe do a crack now, oh, God help them, and you forget about it. You know, how many times do we do that? And we probably think we're doing the good thing, aren't we? We've prayed about it, we're fantastic. But they had a need, they'd actually step out and help their need. Was it a love that we showed out in practice in our lives? And I know myself, I'm very guilty of that as well. I need to step up more on this, this point here. But what we say is true love is a given love. True love is a love you actually step out and do something with it. And you step out, and then you step out again. You continue to give. That is what true love should be like in our lives. Going back to the point, our supreme example is always Jesus, isn't it? John 3.16. We see Jesus dying on the cross. We see that as being love in action. So if we read John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sat down and done nothing. Of course it doesn't say that. God loves and then he acts. 
love in action. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So again we see in that verse there, love is a given love. Love always has an action attached to it as well. God gave us his son. What are we created to do ourselves? We are created to be used. You know, call yourself a believer. God called you to faith. He didn't call you just to sit down your bum and do nothing. We're called to actually act. Think of your, your house at home. I'm sure everyone's got their kind of junk drawer, haven't you? Everyone gets shoved in. And maybe the back's out and it's down the back of your, your unit. Think of yourself clearing that out. You find an old torch. Okay, an old torch, but you remember, oh, I might need that for something. You put new batteries in and then shoved it back in the drawer. So you're rummaging through, you need your torch for something. You come across the torch. You find it. You turn it on. What happens? Nothing. Okay. You remember to put new batteries in it. It's a fire that no working. So you take the, kind of the back of it, you pull the batteries out, give it a good dunt, and they're not coming out, they're stuck there. You look in, the batteries are kind of corroded and acids leaked out. And what do you think? Dash. <laughs> Why is it not working? New batteries put in the drawer, nice, kind of dark, safe place. What are batteries supposed to do? They're supposed to get used. What do any, kind of, anything that uses batteries tell you? Don't store batteries in it, take your batteries out. We see the batteries were doing working when you put them in the torch, but then you shove the torch in the drawer, you shove the drawer shut. And the torch and the batteries were in a nice, warm, dark, comfortable place, but that's not where they should have been. They should have been elsewhere. And if we think about our own lives as well, we are called to be used. We can be like that torch sometimes. We get saved, our batteries are full, but then we chuck ourselves in the jar and we hide away and we don't do what we're called to do. We're called to shine our light, but then we hide ourselves away and we do nothing. And we can become like the batteries. We can become corroded and kind of stuck in our wee shell. And what we see is, you're a believer, you're called to love, a love in action, love other people, share, give, do, and if you don't then our lives become corroded and we're not in the place where we can be used as much for God because we've hidden ourselves away and we've had that kind of reaction taking place inside us. We are called, we're designed to be turned on and to shred the light of God across the world. We need to put our love to work, to do good in deed and in truth and not just in words. We also looked at the previous verses we're called. We can look at, you know, there's a person, we don't have to murder somebody to be in sin. We looked at the last time that even if we can dislike somebody in our hearts, it's akin with murder and akin to moral ground. Um, all we need to do is to ignore a need and in sin. We don't need to go out and steal something and we're a sinful person. But even just failing to do something can put us in a sinful position. Just sitting back and doing nothing isn't what we should be doing in our lives. I'm sure if you think about it, you know, think of the, the different ways you can sin. We could get a big A4 pad and probably fill it up with all the different things we can do to, to create sins and make sins. But we can really take any sin in the world and divide it into two categories. And it's the sin of commission and the sin of omission. It's a commission, something you do, and omission, things that you don't do. So, the sin of commission. I stole something. I know I shouldn't have done it. I have committed a sin. And those are the things that we're normally quite kind of up on. We know if we've done something wrong. We've got that kind of conscience there that tells us that. But the second one, the sin of omission, the things that we don't do, 
the sin we commit by sitting in their backsides and not doing something. They're probably not as in tune to those types of things as much as the things that we practically do to sin. But what we're looking at here is we fail in both circumstances. We fail if we do something we know we shouldn't, but we also fail if we don't do the things that we know we should. And we need to be really be in tune to both of them there. James 4.17 describes it this way. It says, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. When you have got the knowledge and you still sit back and you don't step out and help and give and share and show love, then it is a sin in your life. Going back, why is John writing this? Because he wants believers to have assurance. If you're the type of person that helps other people out, be assured of your relationship with God because that's a reflection of your relationship with Him. You are the person that steps out and shares. You know and you do. If you're that type of person, you can sit there and you think, thank God, I'm walking with God to the way that I should. If you've got that wee sting of conscience, then it's a wee kick up the backside to think, well, I, need, I know what I need to work on. Pray to God to give you the strength to go ahead and be that type of person. It's like the guy, you know, think about this man. He knows he's been in a kind of sinful situation and decides himself, I'm going to sort this out. What I'm going to do, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm going to find a nice dark room, I'm going to sit in it, I'm going to lock myself away, and I'll get myself right. So he tells his good pal what he's going to do. And his pal goes, right, okay, do what you're going to do. So the, the man walks himself away and spends a couple of days there and he comes out and his friend asks him, so how did you go on there? Did you, how did you manage? And the man said, well, I sat down so as I wouldn't step into sin. And I didn't think anything, then I wouldn't think of any evil. And the, the friend's kind of sitting, giving it a wee nod. And the, we've always got a friend list. When you think you're doing something good, the friend that kind of brings you back into place. And his friend says, oh, I see, but don't you think you committed the sin of being the fruitless fig tree? Don't know if you know the story there, the fruitless fig tree. And the man said, oh, I didn't think of that. Thanks very much. And off he went in a storm. Think about what Jesus says. Jesus gives us, gives us the command, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So we get things that we shouldn't do and the things that we should do. Jesus doesn't say, come to me, lock yourself away, happy and comfortable, and don't do anything. He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That man in a bid to keep himself away from sin, he just wanted to lock himself away, shut the whole world out, and I'll keep myself, I'll keep myself right, I'll do nothing. But if you do nothing, you're really not doing anything good at all. The useless fig chief, what was wrong about that? It was deceiving. It promised fruit promised nourishment, but in reality it was an empty shell. You know, it didn't fulfil its purpose. Our lives shouldn't be like that. We are called to be the believer that's showing love, but love in action. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and do the things that Jesus called you to do. That's what our lives should be like. Satan, what's he happy doing? He's happy if we're sitting in sin. He's also just as happy if we're sitting idly and letting everyone else do the work and we're sitting doing nothing because he can discount us from the race. He can focus his attention on someone else, but that's not what our life should be like. We are supposed to be the torch with the batteries in and fully working and shining the light out across other lives and other people. Think of the words of Jesus. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 
go into the world and preach the gospel. All positive commands to go out and do things, say things, show things. We're never called just to sit down and do nothing. By doing these things, by doing God's will, then we avoid the sin of omission, don't we? And that's really what we need to be careful of. We shouldn't shut off our hearts, as verse 17 tells us. If we've got the means to help and we see a need, we need to be the people that step up and help. Everything that God has blessed us with in our lives, why does he give us good things? So we can then share them with other people. We're called to share our lives and share our blessings with other people. But likewise, I don't know, I'm quite, I'm the type of person, if I've got a problem, I'll kind of keep it to myself. Ask my wife. <laughs> I don't really share a great deal. And that's a big kind of failing in my life because if I don't share issues or problems or thoughts or fears and all these types of things, then how can somebody help me? Likewise, Christian faith, how can we help each other if we don't open up to each other as well? We can't meet a need if somebody doesn't tell us you've got a need. So we need to be kind of faithful to each other and open up to each other so as we can actually be the kind of church body that helps each other and kind of blends in and steps up and steps into people's needs. Whilst the needs, it's not just money, it's time, friendship, prayer, all these other different things as well. And probably those things cost a lot more than hard cash. If we love as God loves, then we love our friends, we love our family, we also love the people that we don't really like. And that's always a hard point as well, isn't it? And that's when we need to pray to God to give us the grace and the strength to step up and help the people that we might not mesh with straight away. When I was doing the kind of preparation for this, I, read, I was reading a magazine and I thought this week in the story was quite good and fitted in quite well. And it's an account of a church youth rally over in America. So a big kind of rally, thousands and thousands of people. And at the rally they took a collection for a local mission. And at the end of the night the people were counting all the, the money big kind of buckets have been going round, so they're counting all the money, sorting out into the coins and notes and things. And as they were sorting out, they found a wee passport photo, and it was of a girl, maybe about 16, 17 years old. And the person picked up and looked at the photo and thought, oh, that's a shame, they've dropped their photo in by mistake, or that's a shame they'll lose their photo. And they're just about to set it to the side for the notice and writing on the back of it. And on the back it said, I don't have any money, but I give myself. And the great encouragement it was that person counting the money, you know, we can give money and it's thoughtless. If you've got a lot of money, give money. Hey, what sacrifice is that to you? It's really not costing you anything at all. But if you give your life, that is a true sacrifice because it's your body, it's your will, it's your mind, it's your emotions, it's your time. That is really what God is calling us to do. It's not about cash, it's about your life. That's the most important thing. And a lot of time we pretend that we're doing the right thing, don't we? So the businessman, he cheated the taxman, okay? He's lying in bed at night, tossing and turning, tossing and turning, cheated the taxman out of lots of money. Guilt, he knew guilt. He couldn't sleep. Didn't have a moment's peace at night. His mind was wrestling. Woke up every morning, feeling totally drained, had a terrible day. So eventually what he does, he writes a letter to the taxman. He says, enclosure will find a cheque for £100,000 because I cheated on my tax income return last year. Okay, so he sends that away. And he puts it at the bottom, P.S. If I still have trouble sleeping after this, I'll send you the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think in our lives, we are 
that type of people, aren't we? We feel guilty over something, so we'll do the bare minimum to maybe skim the top of that guilt off. But you're not really dealing with the issue. And what we need to do is be the people that step out in love, but also in genuineness. And if we are meeting people's needs, be genuine about it and don't just kind of skim the surface of it. We shouldn't be believers that kind of do things and pretend or do something because if I do this, somebody else will see me doing this and they'll think I'm really good. We need to do it out of the right heart, out of the right attitude of our hearts. So if we've got the means to help, we should help. It's about the heart to do it. So we need to have the means, we need to know there's an issue, and we also have to have the heart to do it as well. We be sorry about the pastor as well, sitting in front of his congregation, and he said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Good news is, we've got enough money to meet every single need in this church. And everyone's looking, great, oh, they'll get to pay off this for me, or they can help me out with this. And everyone's feeling really kind of elated. Lots of smiles going out there. And then he says, but the bad news is, it's still in your pockets. <laughs> Again, I'm sure a few hearts get to beat during that service. We need to have three things to meet needs properly. We need to know there's a genuine need. We need to have a means of assistance. And we need to have a willing heart to help. And that's three things we need in our lives as well. To be able to be the people that step out and help practically and in genuine love to other people. So what I'm saying this morning is, let's not fall into the sin of indifference. Don't be all talk and no action. Don't promise things just to be seen to be good and then not follow through with it. Verse 19 says, And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So if we are that type of person that steps out, helps, you've got a genuine... um, heartfelt attitude to help other people then by this know that you are of the truth and your hearts will be assured before God. Be that type of person and be assured that you are walking with God and you are in that right relationship with him. How can we know we're of the truth? How can we have that needed assurance? Just by this, verse 16 tells us, by a life of loving the brethren and loving in deed and truth. If you want to stop from doubts about where you are with God then, love God, love the believers, and do things in deed and in truth. Don't just talk about things, follow through with it. It's all about our horizontal relationship with each other and our vertical relationship with God. No matter what we talk about, no matter what Bible passages we look at, it's always about that. The horizontal relationship and the vertical relationship. The cross. That's really what we need to look at there. Obviously, we're talking about doing good things, and I'm sure somebody's sitting there going, Mel, you don't need to do good works to be saved. And that is true. John's not saying, do these good things and you will earn your salvation. He's saying, do these good things and you will know you have your salvation. It's about assurance that people want in their walk with God. When you feel the doubts, when you feel like an uncertain kind of attitudes in your mind, go back to this. You can be assured if you're doing these things that you're walking with God in the right way. And your heart becomes at peace knowing it. When we sow into other people, we see the benefit in our own lives, but also in their lives as well. If we go to Galatians 6, verse 7 to 10, it tells us, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh. Excuse me. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will reap everlasting life. 
And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So an important part of that verse there is Galatians 6 and 9. Do not give up doing good. Do not get weary with it. Do good, do good, and you will reap the benefit in your life, but also the people you're helping also reap the benefit in their life as well. Let us do good, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, your fellow believers. If we can't help each other out, what hope have other people got out with the church? So we can have two different types of, types of heart, the, the verses tell us here, either a condemning heart or a confident heart. And John is telling us that it's possible to feel condemned by our own hearts, even at times if it's not merited. Even if you're walking with God, sometimes you can have that kind of conviction of heart that you feel, oh, I'm doing nothing right, I can't do anything right. And a condemning heart, what does it do to your walk with God? What does it do to your feelings and your emotions? Your happiness goes, your peace goes, your kind of desire to do anything for God goes out the window as well. It's all about your assurance. Your assurance flies away. But can we always trust our hearts? Can we always trust what our hearts tell us? I've got somebody, a colleague at work, and she said, I just go with my heart first thing. That's, I just trust my heart and go with that. And I think you, you probably think, oh, that's quite a good thing. You go with your gut instinct. But sometimes your heart tells you a whole load of nonsense. It tells you a whole pack of lies. Only God knows the truth about our hearts. We don't. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The answer to that is, God knows it. We don't know our own hearts as much as he does. Sometimes the heart will accuse us and sometimes it will excuse us. Sometimes correctly and sometimes incorrectly. We need to go to God. He's the one that can give us the truth about where we are. So we've got two different types of guilt. We've got a good guilt, which we can call conviction by the Holy Spirit. And we've got bad guilt, which we call condemnation that comes from Satan. Okay? One's there to get us back on the correct path, and one's there to hold our head under the water and help us drown. We need to be sure we know which guilt we're dealing with in our lives. The Holy Spirit brings us that guilt, that conviction, so as we can get things right to get us back in an even keel, to show us we were going wrong so as we can kind of deal with it and sort it out. It shows us our sin, and then we can repent of it, confess, and then we can move on, and we shouldn't have any more guilt. The condemning guilt, condemnation, which comes from Satan, reminds us of where we're going wrong, past failures, past faults, and there's no kind of forgiveness of sins there. It'll remind you of everything you've done in the past and how bad you are. And at that point, when you think of everything you've done wrong in your life in the past, you could write a big long list, couldn't you? How do you feel when you start looking at all those different things? You become spiritually disabled. You think, God, you can't love me, you can't use me, you don't like me, you don't want me. And you can, you can become this kind of burst balloon. Yeah. And you deflate down. And then you chuck yourself in a job because it's the only place for you. You don't want to be used because you're so bad. That type of guilt, that type of condemnation isn't of God. And that's the type of guilt and condemnation you just need to get out of your mind. Turn your thoughts to God and his mercy, his forgiveness. Look to the cross again at those points. And again, if we ever come to that point point, we think, God, I'm so bad, I'm so useless, you can't use me then. We're kind of getting the, the horse before the cart in some measure. The 
because does God ever write anyone off? He doesn't. Never, ever, ever does God write a person off. So if we write ourselves off, then we're saying, God, you're stupid, you don't know. And God also does know. He knows all things. We need to look to God and what God can do. He never writes anyone off. He's paid the price for all sins. He will forgive all sin. And if you've confessed it, you forget about it. You turn your back and you forget about it. So what John's telling us here is, you know, people, they need a remedy for that kind of con- condemnation that comes into their life. He knew that Satan would kind of fire those, those darts into people's lives. And he's saying, don't trust the thoughts that you always have. Don't trust the thoughts that you're so bad and you're so rubbish and you can't be used. He's saying in the verse here that God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. We need to look to God and not look to ourselves. And that's an easy thing to say, but sometimes it's not an easy thing to do. There are many, many times where our hearts will condemn, condemn us for things that God doesn't condemn us for. We're condemning ourselves and God's saying, what are you doing? You're forgiven of that, move on. <laughs> and we're kind of still stuck in that wee rut. We need to look to God. If he's forgiven us, then we walk on and we leave our sin behind the cross. Why do we feel condemnation? Why does Satan put condemnation on us? As I said, he wants us to be shut away in that dark place and not to be used because sometimes we put ourselves in that place. He also gives us the guilt and the condemnation because he wants us to be busy. He doesn't want us to be loving Loving and then loving out of action, helping other people, giving, sharing, sharing the gospel and all these different things. He wants us to be busy and to be hamster wheel. Dealing with all the accusations, right? You're saying this about me, no, this is my justification. Satan, you're saying this about me, no, this is my justification, that's why I did that. And you're constantly that be hamster wheel, answering all the kind of bad thoughts and bad emotions you've got in your life. And at times like that, you're spinning round and spinning round. And you're just kind of dealing with your own thoughts and your own heart and you're not getting any attention or any thought to what God is asking you to do. It's at these times we become failures because we're on the hamster wheel, we're dealing with our thoughts and our emotions and God's will is over here and we're in this wee hamster wheel a hundred miles an hour doing what we want and dealing with the thoughts and our emotions and what's going wrong in our life and God's over here saying, can you do this? But we're busy. We're dealing with all the condemnation, all the the justification for the things we've done wrong. So we need to get off the hamster wheel, don't we? And go to God's will. Forget what our hearts are saying, unless it's by the Holy Spirit, and do what God's asking to do. We can doubt who we are with God sometimes. Sometimes we can doubt if we're saved at all, if you've ever been in that position. These are the dangerous points where Satan comes and puts that wedge in between you and God. It's at these times we need to go to Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're feeling condemned, get those thoughts out of your mind because we know they're not from God, they're from Satan. How do we get out of that kind of frame of mind? When we go back to what we're looking at here, look at the level of love in your life, share the love of God, help other people, share it, Walk in the light, go to the world, take in board all those messages, all those scriptures there. That will assure your heart where you are with God. That will give you the boost that you need to get you out of that dark place. Warren Wearsby gives a wee quote here, which I thought was quite good. He says, No Christian should cheat sin lightly, but no Christian should be harder on themselves than God is. And I think a lot of the time we're a lot harder on ourselves than God is on us. 
He's forgiven us and we should be moving on, but we don't want to move on because we're so bad. Again, we need to get things right in our lives. Psalm 103, verse 10 to 12 also says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are as high as above the earth, so great is his mercy to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So if we are forgiven, we are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, we are forgiven. He has got unlimited mercy on us. Even if we have denied God, you know, we down Peter, he denied God three times. God's mercy was good enough to cover all that and to restore him back to his place. We shouldn't be haunted by past sins. God doesn't have any memory of any confessed sin. And I think that's a thought we really need to keep on board. If we confess a sin, God doesn't keep a record. He doesn't have the big filing cabinet out in heaven. Sin, 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 forgiven, forgiven, unforgiven, unforgiven. As soon as you confess it, it disappears. He doesn't even know anything about it. So verse 21 tells us, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commands and do these things that are pleasing in his sight. So the heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Okay, so the heart doesn't condemn us. And what should really say is, you know, going back to the point, don't rely on feelings alone, always go to the word of God. Our feelings can fleet and come and go, always go back to what God says. Our emotions might tell us one thing, but God knows even better, his knowledge extends even further than that. And what we say about our own salvation, does that matter? No, what God says about our salvation is the most important thing. So, a heart that has got confidence towards God, that should look what we're all wanting. Confidence in our place with God, where we stand with God. And that's achieved when our lives are in tandem with God. Now, it doesn't mean we earn a right to prayer. It doesn't mean we earn a right to uh, have an answer prayer by what we do. But what we say is when we are walking with God, His will is here and we come alongside him and our wills close to his, then what we are asking for in prayer is aligned with his will. So if we're asking for something that God wants, then is he going to answer it? Of course he is. Think of this sweet song. Um, he's making a list. He's checking it twice. Go to find out who's not and nice. Who's that song about? Santa. Okay. How often do we can cheat God as Santa? No, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. How often do we think, oh, I'm walking really good by God here, I'll pray for this and I'll get it. Or I'm really bad, I'm going to pray for this and I'm not going to get it because I'm not walking by God. Too often we think of God as being this kind of Santa character and we see that that's, that's not right there. God isn't up in heaven with his list, checking it twice to find out who's naughty or nice. It's not the case that if you're in the nice, nice list, you get whatever you want, and if you're in the bad list, you get nothing. The difference is, a person who's walking with God prays, not my will be done, but yours. And God answers prayers that are according to his will, doesn't he? Some people only see the first part of the verse here, ask and you will receive. And we know a lot of the kind of nonsense that goes on out there, the kind of name it and claim it, the positive confession movement. This says, you know, just ask anything of God in faith and you will get it because it's in God's word. Ask and you will receive. But 
what they don't see is the, the second part of that verse there as well. Because we keep his commandments. There's a kind of two-part verse there. You only get what you ask for if you're walking with God and you're keeping his commandments. The purpose of our prayers need to be aligned with God's will. Ask in prayer for God's will, for his perspective, then you're asking for something that's pleasing to God, that God will delight in. So obviously God will answer those types of prayers. If you ask for something in prayer that's not according to God, that's not according to his will, then he's not going to answer it because it's not delighting him in that way. We see really verse 21, it's a reverse of James 4 chapter James chapter 4 verse 3 and James 4 3 says you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures so we see the two verses that are kind of flip of each other here you're asking according to God's will and you're going to get what you're asking for in James 4 3 you're asking for yourself but you're asking amiss and you're not going to get it is basically what it's saying if we're not abiding with God, we're not walking according to his will, and you're praying for things that are not going to please him, so we see how things aren't getting answered in that situation there. When we're walking with God, when we're in the light, as he is in the light, when we're loving other people, sharing, giving up, serving, looking to God, finding out what he's wanting, then we're going to ask for things in prayer, and God's going to answer them, because we're asking for the things that he's going to delight in. When we're not walking in the light, when we're shutting a drawer in a dark place, when we're far from God's word, when we're not helping other people, when we're only helping ourselves, we're going to ask for things and they're for us, and God isn't going to answer them. Why is it sometimes a thing, oh God, why are you not answering my prayer? And we realise we're asking out of totally wrong, selfish reasons. Sometimes God will answer those things to give us a boost, but generally speaking, he doesn't answer things that you're asking for in a selfish, a selfish heart. So as a church body, think about the level of love that we have in this church here. Have you been the receiving end of somebody helping you out? Have you been the type of person that helps other people out? And I'm not saying you're you know, giving millions of pounds over to somebody, but if you help somebody out you know, in a small way, went and collected something from the post office for them, given my lift somewhere, we're talking about showing a love in action. It's not about all these big, super-duper, massive things. It's all the small but very, very meaningful things that we can do to help somebody out in their lives. We can all help each other in some small way. And it all counts to God. God's not wanting to do these big, massive, super-duper, wonderful things, but just those small, wee, tiny things to help each other out mean a great deal. And that is basically love in action. Verse 23 says, and this is his command, that we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us command. Okay, so John basically concludes with a twofold test for pleasing him. One, we need to believe in the name of his son, and the second one is to love one another. That is his command. When somebody says to you, you're a believer, you need to obey all the commandments. What we're seeing here is all the commandments are brought down into these two things here. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another. Those are the commands that we need to keep. Those commands encompass everything that's included in the Bible there. And they're linked together. One results in the other. John's not saying believe in these two commandments. He's saying believe in this. Believe in this. He's gave us commandment to believe in the name of the Son and to love one another. 
it really parallels what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. And he says there, Teach us which is the greatest command in all the law. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. So if you want assurance in who you are in God, if you're walking with God, if you want that assurance in your heart there, obey his command. Believe in Jesus and love other people. That's really what it's boiling down to today. I don't know if you've ever been like me, sat down in the house night and thought, God, what is it you're wanting from me? What do you want me to do in my life? What can I do? And what does God answer? He's saying, my plan for your life is this. Believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation and express that relationship to other believers and to other people. Love me and share my love with others. If you want to know your purpose in life, what you're called to do for God, you're called to love him and you're called to love other people. That's really what it boils down to. And too often they get caught up in knots trying to figure out, am I called to be a, a prophet or an evangelist or a prayer intercessor or all these different things making you look up you know, all the different gifts of the Spirit and all the different callings that God might have for you. It really doesn't matter. If you're called to one of those things, it'll reveal that to you. But in the meantime, love God, love other people. That is your greatest calling. And that is the proof of your being a child of God. How much you love him and how much you love other people. You want to have assurance that you're walking with God, you've got that good relationship with him. I'll repeat it again. Love him and love other people. That is the greatest of the commandments. That is all that we need to keep of the commandments because they're all brought into those two things there. That's what he wants from us. If we do that, there are, there are assurances that we can have in our lives. We will know and have that assurance in our heart that we're walking with him. God through his Holy Spirit will give us that kind of inner conviction, not inner conviction, inner confirmation that we are walking in the right way. We'll feel the love of God in our lives if we do that. And verse 24 says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. A couple of studies ago, we looked quite a lot of being a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? We looked at lots of different attributes there. Basically, God's children are the people who are standing on the earth today and have their hope, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So what we really see at the moment of conversion, when you believe on the name of Jesus, when you confess your sin, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and he died on the cross for your sins, when that, con- when that conversion takes place there, God basically stamps you. He puts his name in your birth certificate, and he puts the Holy Spirit in your heart to reside. At that moment, that's the seal in your life. You, person, you are mine. Okay, you get the seal on you and you get the Holy Spirit living within you. You become sealed with the promise of God. That Holy Spirit in you is a promise, a kind of deposit he gives you. When Christ comes back for his church, 
scanning all the people and he's looking for the people who have got the Holy Spirit residing in them. He's looking for his children. And those people are the people that God's going to take to be with him. Romans 8 9 says, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If you're sitting in church this morning, if you come along to church and you listen to this stuff and you find it quite good, fantastic. But you might not be a child of God. You need to make that decision that Jesus, belief in Jesus is, the Son of God, they died on the cross for your sins, confess of your sin and receive forgiveness. And at that moment, that conversion takes place. He will give you the Holy Spirit and he will stamp your life and put his name on your birth certificate. He who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. God can only abide in you when that has taken place. The Apostle John, he's sitting in Ephesus as he's writing this, so the kind of port towns where there's boats coming in and out and they kind of shipped a lot of containers and goods and things about. This is an analogy that would be quite well known because people would have the signet rings in those days. The wax would get poured in the container, the ring would get stamped on the container, and it was a unique symbol. The container would go away, and then when it was time to redeem the container, then they would look for the, the correct signet, the correct symbol on, on the package there. The owner would look for his stamp and then redeem the container. That's what we're getting told here. When we become a believer, God stamps you, seals you with the Holy Spirit, and at one point he's coming back to redeem that container i.e. that life. When God comes back for his church, it's that seal that he's looking for. And we need to make sure that we all have that seal on our lives. We need that seal on our lives or else we're going to be left without God. Now, God puts his name in our birth certificate when that happens and a lot of times I think of the word father. You know, We live in a, a society where a father maybe isn't a very good role model. We see a lot of people with broken families, maybe away from their own natural fathers. We have a dependable Heavenly Father. No matter what our lives and our background experiences are, we've got a Father we can totally rely on. We have been stamped with a mark of ownership, and we will soon be redeemed and collected by our Heavenly Father. He's returning to collect those that are His, His children. I read a wee joke on Facebook which I thought was quite funny. It was a roundabout Father's Day and it said Glasgow, the only place where Father's Day cards are sold in packs of five. <laughs> but when we are talking about our Heavenly Father, everything, everything, He contains everything. There's nothing that we can look for that He doesn't have. He is totally solid, totally trustworthy. If we want to enjoy that secure relationship with Him, we need to put our faith in Jesus, on Jesus Christ, have that conversion in our lives, and then love him and love other people. We want to be believers that enjoy a secure relationship with God every day. We need to make that our aim. Love God, love other people. We base our salvation on the cross, the finished work of the cross, but we base our assurance of our salvation and believing the truth about Jesus loving the brethren, loving other people and obeying Christ's command to love him and love others. So just to conclude, if you lack assurance today, you get some instructions from 1 John how to get that assurance. If you lack salvation today, you've also got some instructions how you can gain salvation this morning as well and become that child of God. Everything can change in your life right now. If you've not been walking the way you should be walking, you know how to get yourself back on track. 
As you've never walked with God before, now could be your moment. Put your trust in him. Come to God and let him seal, seal and stamp your life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can open your word this morning, Lord. And this letter that the Apostle John wrote so, so long ago still rings true to us today. Help us, Lord God, for us believers, Lord, to, to be believers that love you and love other people as well, Lord. Let us love in deeds and in truth, Lord, not just with cheap talk, Father. Help us, Lord, to step out and to help the needs of other people. Help us, Lord, not to sit back and be indifferent to the needs of people, Father. We thank you, Lord, that when we call on you for salvation, that you answer and you give freely salvation to all who repent and come to you, Father God. We thank you, Lord, you've sealed us with your promise, with your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord God, we can, we can solely depend on that fact, Lord, that you're coming back to redeem that which is yours. For every life that's sealed with your spirit, Lord, you'll come back for that life, Father God. You're the Father we can depend on, Lord, you will honour that promise, Father. Lord God, we just thank you for our salvation. We thank you, Lord God, for the work of the cross. That for every person that comes to the cross, Lord, and believes in the name of Jesus Christ, that confesses their sin and receives you as Lord and Saviour, will have a place in heaven and will have a relationship for eternity with you. I pray, Father God, if there's anyone that doesn't have that relationship this morning, Father, you would work in their hearts, Lord. Even the quietness of their, their own minds and their own spirits, Lord, that, that they will seek you, Father. And we know, Lord, that anyone who seeks you will find you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for all your good gifts, for all the blessings that you put into our lives. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to share those blessings with other people, Father. As we conclude this sermon today, we just ask you, Lord, to pour your love into our lives, Father. Fill us talk to talk with your Holy Spirit and help us, Lord, to shed that with other people, Lord, to share that with others. We pray, Lord, you bless your word and just plant it deep within us, Lord, and bring it to remembrance, Lord, whenever we need it. Help us, Lord, not to, to give in to condemnation, Father God, also to look to you. Always to look to you, Lord, because you're greater than our hearts. You're greater than anything and every thought that we have, Father. We put our trust in you, Lord, and we ask you, ask you, Lord, just to share that truth in our hearts and with other people, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.